If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Good evening, Christopher. And our tactics guy and Maurizio Pochettino apologist, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> Back once again with the ill behaviour. Uh, firstly, shout out to uh, my good friend, Paul King, who has become a father for the first time. Uh, uh, very best of luck to Paul, uh, bringing uh, a Spurs-supporting uh, child into this world. Um, but let's talk about Sheffield straight away, because I want to come to Nathan and say, please find a positive on this one, I dare you. <laughs> well... <laughs> I yeah. liked the first half. I was happy with the first half. That has proven to be a highly controversial take. Uh, and even with Pochino, Pochino said that the first half was was poor. So um, I guess I must be wrong. But I, I, after the first ten minutes or so, I thought we were exerting more and more control over the game. I was, I was fairly happy with the way that we were pressing. I thought we were beginning to create some chances. Um, so I do think that they, at the very least. I think that there was some promise in the first half, even if you don't feel it delivered. We also were terrible at moving the ball out the back, and that's a huge issue. But um, <laughs> once we got the ball forward, we were good. That's the positive. Interesting. Okay, I've, there's a lot to dissect there, but um, I'll start off by going to Bardi, because Bardi, you took your wife to the game, uh, and you also sat in a different place to normal, so you got a different perspective. What were your general thoughts? Yeah, I've got to say thank you to Ross. He went up in the gods and sat in my seat and he allowed me to sit in the West End in row nine. And um, it was a totally different experience watching the football that low. It seemed a lot more chaotic than you usually think. Mm. It was it was tight and um, it was strange being that close to Dyer and Davies, especially in the first half and just the sheer panic on them. Because um, Sheffield United, they have this weird tactic on their free kicks. I don't know if you noticed it. They go deep. And then they immediately, the the man they hit never holds the ball. He knocks it back and they to try and drag the centre back and the full back out of position. And they did that every time. And it was, it was quite amazing to watch it keep working every single time on Davies and Dyer. But yeah, I took my wife to the game and it was interesting. You know, sometimes they say the truth comes out of the mouth of babes, out of the mouth of children. And... um a lot of what she said made a lot of sense. I know she was just using her eyes and saying what she saw, but um, 
without the agendas, without understanding why um, the contractual issues. She was like, why is Ericsson not playing? He's the only one who knows how to pass the ball. Why does Dyer look so clumsy? Why is Kane not running? And these are all questions, especially the Kane one, that I, I don't know, we, we don't seem to talk about enough. And it's something that we should really. But like Nathan, I think there were still some positives in the game. And had Pochettino not made that awful tactical error, I think we probably would have won that game two or three by hitting him on the counter. Um, we need to come back to that tactical error because there's a lot to say there. But um, firstly, just uh, going back to the comment you made about their free kicks, I didn't pick up mm. on this at all. Could you explain a bit more about what you mean there? So um, they would get a free kick deep, either if a goal kick or an offside or a foul. And they seem to hit it long diagonal into one of their front men. And that front man, his, all he wanted to do was knock it back first time to the winger or to midfielder. So like the team would be dragged over for the high ball and they were quickly trying to get it out of the, out of the touchline as quickly as possible. And it was something that I could see them doing in the second half, especially because I had a look straight down, um, straight down um, our right hand side. And in the first half as well, they kept doing it to Dyer. And I think even the free kick where Dyer got um, booked, I think that was maybe from some a similar manoeuvre. So in, out, like the ball would go long, they would knock it back quickly and then move the ball across into, into the space. Really interesting. Yeah, um, I, I, I have noticed in previous matches that they've had free kick routines, uh, but I, I must admit that I didn't notice this at all in, in this game. But I do admire, I always admire a free kick routine. I, I mean, I, I love that. They were, they were superb. I am... Um, a lot of, when Newcastle came and got the point, that was that was a lot of luck. But I think there was more than luck into the Sheffield United team. And the fact that kind of Norwich had this kind of great run at the start, but then they've fallen away. The fact that Sheffield United, I know they've only got one game a week and they can rest and focus on these matches. The way they executed their plan, cut, cutting out the passing channels and really working us and hitting us um, where we're weakest. It, it, you know, I got a lot of respect to that team. So I think I'm right in saying that they have the best defensive record in the Premier League and are also unbeaten away, uh, which is just absolutely remarkable for a newly promoted team, particularly one that has plenty of players who have no Premier League experience and plenty with very limited Premier League experience. They look incredibly well coached. And that was in stark contrast to our lot, who look very poorly coached at the moment and who didn't seem to have, certainly defensively, didn't seem to have a, a, a plan for Sheffield United. And I spoke last week about the fact that when we're good, we would just steamroller a team like this and we win 2-1 despite the fact that they're a well-organised team. Well, actually, we didn't have an answer for their tactics, I felt, and I thought we were quite lucky, actually, to get a point out of the game. Um, Bardi referenced a tactical error from Pochettino. Uh, I suspect I know what he's talking about, Nathan, but did, did you have a view on, on the tactical change is this the halftime change or the later one? The, I, I think Bardi's referring to the switch to the 5-4-1 is that right yeah Bardi? I mean it was it was strange to not see Endobele come out for the second half but I heard the rumour in the crowd was it was yeah. a groin injury but it was the switch where I thought we were starting to see some joy on the counter-attack and especially combinations between Delhi and Sun that change of taking off Delhi, I think, hurt us and almost threw the initiative towards them. Nathan, what what was your what do you think the rationale was behind that? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I it may just be about getting the the sort of the three v two at the back, getting the man advantage there. Um, I don't know. I don't really have any particularly strong thoughts on that particular move. I I think that um, our best 
period of time in the second half came in the final 10 minutes or so, which was in that shape, but after moving La Celso Central with Lucas coming on. Um, so I guess you could say it was a step towards that. I, um, yeah, no, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit lost on that one, I'm afraid. I just seem to think it lost. we lost a lot of momentum. And we did, and Nathan's right, we did look good in the last 10 minutes. I thought Lucas came on and looked bright. And um, one of the advantages of being where I sat is on the full-time whistle, Lucas, he properly stormed off. He wasn't in a good mood. And I, yeah, he he didn't look a happy bunny. I felt a bit bad because I was quite critical of Lucas on the last podcast and he did have a genuinely positive impact on this one. And, you know, he has done that off the bench a few times. He's he's, he's always looked to me better off the bench than starting games. Um, and if we can get something out of him, get a tune out of him in that respect, it'd be helpful. But I felt as though he didn't get enough time to have that impact. Um, and we had a question from Doc Hammertime who said, Harry can't move anymore, true or false? I, I thought in this game in particular, Kane looked really hampered. I'm willing to put it down to the fact that he's had a virus and then was asked to play 180 minutes. I, I thought he should have come off against Red Star. I thought that of Ndombele as well. Um, Bardi, you've got other views. Yeah, <laughs> what, like, like Kane is finished as a top-class footballer. No, I'm not going to go there. But I just, I, he just looked sluggish. He looked slow. There was opportunities where he could have had a shot and um, he didn't. And opportunities where he could have spread the ball wide like we've seen him do many times. He, ju- he did just seem half a second off the pace. Which is which is worrying because we know how long it takes him to get up to speed, and now he's going to go off with the international team and probably play too much. That really annoys me, mm. and, and the same of uh, Tonki and Dombele, who's going off to play international football despite coming off half time in, in this match. Um, Taylor talks tech. Who said he says seeing the lack of press for the Sheffield United goal? What would Poch's rationale be for this total move away from pressing team personnel, tactical, or just can't be asked anymore? Um, and I would urge you to read uh, the thread on Twitter from Chris Summerson. Um, I tweeted about Sheffield United's goal uh, because Sheffield United were kind of blowing their own trumpet a bit about their 23-pass move. Uh, and, and I kind of commented that it was more that Spurs were passive than Sheffield United being particularly good. And, and Chris did a, a much deeper analysis than that of the, of the move. And it was really good and, and well worth well worth a read. And Nathan, what did you make of the goal? Is that Sheffield being good or is that us being bad? Uh, yeah, half of each. Um uh, again, I, I I do think that we pressed fairly well in the first half. Um, not brilliantly, obviously, and they did have their chances and they did also have the first 10 minutes or so. Um, I don't want to pretend that it was, it was perfect, but I thought we we were playing our game in the first half and then when Ndombele came on and Harry Winks moved into the deepest role with Sissoko moving slightly further forward, our pressing was, was very poor for most of the rest of the game. Um, I'm going to be quite harsh on Harry Winks and, and essentially say that I don't think that we can play the pressing game that we want to with him um, maybe in the side at all, but especially in that that deepest role. Um, I I you know I'm a fan of Winks as a player. Um, I I think he has some very good skills, but I I just think that he's causing our team not his fault, but but his limitations are causing us as a team um, some significant problems at the moment. Mm. Come on, Chris. Let, let's, uh, yeah. let's let's have it. Uh, it's, it's really hard to disagree. It's really hard to disagree at the moment. Um, I'm not prepared to write off Harry Winks until I've seen him play 10 games without Muta Sissoko alongside him. Um, I mean, someone said on my Twitter feed that our downward turn has come has coincided with Muta Sissoko becoming a fixture in our team. And I think that is like a little over the top in that Sissoko has had some really good games and he's a very functional player and he tries really hard and that rubs off on others. 
but it's very hard to sort of disagree. I mean, it is a fact, basically. Yeah, I mean, if, if you and... need Musa Sissoko to play in your sides, you have a fundamental issue with your sides. That's not Sissoko's fault. And yeah, he does obviously, obviously have his strengths, which we have been very, maybe not on a particular podcast, but as a fan base, we've been very um, uh, happy with. But he's obviously a flawed player. And if you're a, you're uh, an, an elite, or at least attempting to be an elite side, if you are playing Musa Sissoko, there must be something wrong going on. And the the thing about that, and I agree, I agree with what you just said, the thing about it is that he's definitely a Pochettino favourite. He's definitely a favourite because he plays nearly every game and he's just been rewarded with a new contract. Um, you, can you explain Well, it, yeah, Nate? because he, unlike Harry Winks, has the necessary athletic ability to cover the ground, which for Pochettino is, is, um, is issue number one on the midfielder list. Can they cover the ground? Are they fast enough? Are they strong enough? Yes, Musa Zoko is definitely that. Therefore, he's getting the game time. If we can find players who are d- similarly athletic, but also have a more rounded skill base, we'll be in a much better mm. place at the moment. And Dombele is kind of there, although lacking match fitness. And that's about it mm. for our midfield. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Sissoko gets game times because he's, and he's the only player who can play two games in yep. a week without it showing on him. And Winks and Endombele, they, they can't do it. It's a fair point, and I think that's probably why he got the contract, because despite the fact that he's 30, he's very, very physically capable. He He's a bit of a freak of nature, really, yeah, isn't man. he? You, you don't get many 30-year-olds who have that level of intensity twice a week, um, that kind of burst of pace from a standing start. Uh, yeah, he's, he's quite the specimen physically, but he's very restrictive, generally, of our in our kind of tactical possession style. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to disagree with anything you guys have said, even though I do really want to believe that Harry Winks can come good. Um, I think um, on, on the pressing matter, I think... I think a lot of it's to do with our is our defence though. I don't think our defence is capable to push up alongside the midfield. And that Sheffield United goal, there just seem to be huge gaps between um, between the defence and midfield. Basically, you need the whole team to push up ten yards and then have faith in your in your defence that they can play a high line. Have faith in your goalkeeper that they can play a high line. And Gazaniga can't. Our defence can't. And it just means we end up playing this kind of mix of allowing them to have the ball and then hoping to to nick it in um, like when they're 10, 15 yards in our half. And had Lo Celso managed to make that tackle, we probably it looked like there was a proper over um, counter attack going to happen. So you can see we kind of invite teams in hoping to nick it because we just don't have don't have the players to play a high press. I think you're you're right that there was definitely a ploy to, to get Sheffield United to play the ball inside and then to pounce on them. But if that was the case, then <laughs> what are we doing coaching, here? <laughs> it, it, was, it was poor. It was really poorly done. Lascelles yes. was the only one trying to press the ball. No one backed him up, and then Son gambled on him winning it, so he committed himself, which meant that other players had to commit. Dyer came out defence. Davies had to reposition. Then they ended up with. Uh, Bulldog free on the right and his cross just went in. It was really clumsy team defending for that goal. Now let's talk a bit about Dyer. I, I was intrigued. I didn't think he would start this game. I was really yeah, interested that he did. What was fascinating to me was the fact that he played on the left side of a back four initially and he wanted to play everything with his left foot. Now <laughs> I, I've never noticed that Dyer um, is both footed. So and I don't think he is necessarily. I think he's he wants to. He's, he's a right footed player. He gave so much of the ball away, um, but he kept doing it. And I wanted. Do you think it was instruction, Bardi, that he was asked to play things with his left? I don't know. I don't think he is two footed. I don't know. I don't know when he worked. He, maybe he got hit on the head and he thinks he's now two footed. But I can see the. You, you can see what he was trying to do. 
They were the right type of passes. They were into the right areas, but this, the execution was all wrong. Um, Sanchez has played on the left before when we've had Alderweireld, and I think that probably would have been a safer option because we were we were talking about Dyer's passing and how it might be a good thing for us for him bringing the ball out. But yeah, not not like that. Not with Davies on on his left because he didn't even have an out ball to Davies. It was yeah, it, it was comical, and he he should have changed it up. But um, one thing Dyer does do is he does love a moan. He was constantly going after all his other teammates, even though it, it, it wasn't their fault and it was just his bad passing. He, he kind of got off to a really bad start because he was booked after about a minute um, and it kind of it never really got much better for him. Nathan, what, yeah. what do you think the rationale was for him being picked in the first place? Uh, picked in the first place, to me, there was this vague feeling of, oh, well, you like that Wednesday team. Here's that Wednesday team then. And then if it doesn't right. work... <laughs> Right, it, then you're making you as the fan base. You're getting what you asked for, and it's still not working out. So it's obviously not simply uh, a selection of the eleven thing. Uh, is that Pochino's style? Is that his moods? I don't know. Maybe, but I, it did have that kind of feeling. Um, with him being played on the left, though, that just makes sense to me. He played left midweek next to Sanchez. He is the more technical player of the two of them. Um, and I think the reason he was playing his left foot so much is because he was being played onto his left foot by Sheffield's pressing. Uh, oh, Sheffield United's pressing. Um, you know, not that he wants to consider himself a left player, but that's the the way the the play opened up. I also think out of that sort of deepest three of Sanchez, Sissoko and himself, he was the only one really attempting to progress the ball. So he had to take mm-hmm. the risks. And he when he took the risks, he failed with them um, because he was on his weaker foot, because he's playing on his less preferred side, because he's playing centre-back for the first time in several months. Um, I, I don't really blame him. I don't think that like he um, made poor decisions. I think that's just the circumstance that he was playing in. I, I definitely agree that he was often left with no other option other than to try and go along with his yeah. left foot. Um, Sissoko, his skill set is not to show for the ball deep. He just doesn't do that. He's not that kind of player. He's not like Winks. He just wants the ball every opportunity, even if it's just to make a sideways pass. Uh, he's not a busy midfielder. Um, and, and Dyer probably needed a bit of help out yeah. there to... to Give him an option. Um, maybe he perhaps could have gone back to Gazaniga a bit more and, and been a bit more conservative rather than just trying to chip balls forward constantly. It, it didn't work out anyway. That's that's the main I... thing. Um, but sorry, Nathan, in, in regards to what you just said about uh, the, the Wednesday selection and then the Saturday selection, we had a question from Darren Pamenter who said, how can the team be the same, excluding the fullbacks? Uh, how can they play so well Wednesday and then not be able to pass it five yards to each other on Saturday? What do you think the key issues were there? Well, primarily the level of opposition. Um, obviously, the mm. Serbian league is not in a great position at the moment if that is the most they have to offer Sheffield United are a decent team and I, I uh we have to acknowledge that um but more importantly the way Blades defended which is they contested possession most of the way up the pitch as opposed to Red Star who just dropped off deep and wanted to defend in a low block it was um yeah at the moment the style of play that we're most vulnerable to which is why I was worried about Everton is is teams who play a medium or high defense and and play with a intensity in the middle of the park and that's just something that we really really struggle against at the moment um mm. so yeah th- those are the two major facets yeah I, I think I think they're right about the fullbacks as well I think at Red Star Danny Rose for all his faults it's is true. you know he, he's a bit he's a bit better at left back than Davies and um Foyf is much better with his passing than Aurier. so I, th- I think changing those fullbacks had a massive impact on us Foyth's cameo was decent again yeah, he's fine. He's fine. I, I, um, I couldn't Charlie, understand not bringing Cessna on, on, though, personally. Charlie Eccleshow in The Athletic wrote that 
he thinks and Pochettino doesn't trust Foyth as centre-back, which is why he keeps playing him wide. Um, so that's just an opinion there. And the fact that why um, he put him on as a back three, then he changed him into, into right full-back. He's just, he, he, he doesn't believe in him as a centre-back at the moment. I, I really struggle to accept that explanation myself. I, I, I mean, it's possible. And if he's got sort of some inside knowledge that we don't, we have to accept that. But like... Uh, he's played for the centre back plenty. Um, it's not like we're lacking for centre back options. We've seen four of them in pretty heavy rotation. For me, the reason Foyth is playing at right back and not centre back is because we're even more catastrophic at right back than we are at centre back at the moment. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. today suggests that Pochettino is looking to sign defensive players um, which, which kind of makes sense it's what you'd expect when you're having a tough time defensively and particularly when the two Belgians are likely to go the frustration for me and I wrote about this at the weekend is that Pochettino has overseen this squad building over the past two two windows two years rather four windows and he's allowed it to get into this state and he's had Sanchez and Foyth there but he's and he's had Walker Peters there and he's had Cessignon now there but he's he's not really brought the players through Sanchez had a season that's fair enough he's I feel like he's been fairly well developed Foyth hasn't um and I feel like he should be further along now given the potential he's shown uh, and that's a slight frustration to me um so speaking of the academy speaking of Walker Peters we had a question from Sean Gormley who said Poch goes all Cabal Cabal to electric boogaloo love that in January and shit cans uh, uncommitted senior players and promotes youth players with the rest of the Premier League, Premier League season right off. Who gets the chop and who is promoted to fill out the first team? So I love the question, uh, but I have absolutely no faith that that will happen. And the reason I have no faith that that will happen is that Pochettino's kind of stopped developing academy players full stop. Um, and I've written about this uh, a couple of times recently. I, I, I feel frustrated because when Pochettino first came in, he was so brave in his selection of young players and he brought in Mason and Bentaleb. He was using Harry Kane. He was developing players with sign like Delhi. And, and it felt to me to be a, a real trust in youngsters uh, who, who got it, who got the club, who'd been there for a long time. And he put faith in them ahead of these kind of overpaid prima donnas who didn't play for the shirt. And it was lovely. And we're now at a point where we've got a whole bunch of bunch more overpaid prima donnas who don't want to play for the shirt. But we've got no youngsters to bring through because of the change in, in youth policy. Um, and that is that Pochettino, since he's come in, 
has always wanted young players who he likes to be training with the first team, to be in amongst it, to, to have a look at them in training. Uh, the problem with that is they're not out on loan, they're not developing, they're not playing under-23 football, under-18 football, they're not playing any football. So you get a bunch of players who are your most promising essentially stagnating. And that leads to Marcus Edwards, Josh Onomer, Kyle Walker-Peters, three players who were England regulars at all the youth levels and just have not progressed at any kind of rate they've basically done nothing they've come out with the under 18s all guns all guns blazing and then tailed off and that's not good we've got to change something um i know i i, I bang on about this a lot and it's a frustration to me but but did you did, are you anywhere near uh agreeing with this or am i just being over the top about the whole thing no i i agree with you i agree with you um i i just think maybe the quality hasn't been there when he arrived at the club he had townsend bentaleb all those guys that you're talking about but since then perhaps our youth scouting hasn't been that great i mean realistically who's i know he hasn't given the game time to skip and carl walker peters but and maybe edwards but is there anyone else that we've missed i i don't know i just think there's been a whole mismanagement of youth players we got jack clark for example that someone we spent quite a bit of money on and i i don't even know i don't even think he's playing football at the moment so i think the, the our whole academy is in a mess and it just doesn't seem to be anything good coming out of it or any kind of promise coming through coming through it so the Townsend was an interesting one to mention. The thing about Townsend was he had all of these loan moves at multiple different clubs that led to him being a Premier League player. And ultimately, he wasn't good enough for Spurs, but we made a really good profit on him. We got a couple of good years out of him where he, he played some good matches and he was a useful squad player. Um, I mean, he'd probably be a useful squad player still if we still had him, to be honest. Um, and I don't think the, the, the talent pool has dried up. I just think the, the way we've been developing young players has changed to, our detri- to the detriment mm-hmm. of, of those players. I think Jack Rolls, who's gone out on loan this season, finally, after two years of having loan offers, has just got League 2 Player of the Month, which is fantastic. Hopefully, he can kind of lead the charge in terms of showing Pochettino and John McDermott that that was the right thing to do and we should be loaning more of our youngsters and giving them opportunities. I worry with um, with Parrot that he's now going to be the next one to fall into this Pochettino middle ground where he's not playing any football at any level. I mean, he, to be fair, he's played a few games at under-23 level this year and he's played in the most of the UEFA Youth League matches, although not the Red Star one, which is, again, a frustration to me. But um, it does concern me. Not that I necessarily think that the academy should have all of the answers to our problems. I don't. I just think it might have a couple of answers. And I think for the players that don't, aren't going to answer our problems, we can make good profit. And that allows you to buy a better calibre of a first-team player because you've got more money, essentially. Nathan, what do, what do you make of it all? I think when you look at those three players, Edwards, Onoma and Walker-Peters, individually, you can explain away one of them, even two of them. But I think if you have all three clearly talented, promising, exciting young players who, as you said, were getting um, multiple different levels of, of England international um, uh, game time, shows that they're, you know between the three of them, we should at least have got something out of one of them. And I, I just just as on a statistical basis to have to have so little to show from from three objectively promising young players does suggest that there is something wrong going on. And I tell you, pe- people will be listening to this and they will say, well, look at Onima now. He's at Fulham and he's not even getting in the Fulham team. And let me stop you in your tracks if you're thinking that and say, 
the Josh Olimar now is not the Josh Olimar that he should be. Like he, this is Josh Olimar after about four years of stagnation. He was brilliant for the under 18s and then for the under 21s as it was when he came through. He was a superb midfielder. And the fact that he hasn't come through and become a superb Premier League midfielder is a consequence. Of who, man, who, who, who Man City tried to sign uh, when they when they had you know some of, some other brilliant young players is a consequence of our lack of development um, and a, a consequence, in my opinion, of Pochettino's decision to make him part of the first team squad and not play any other football or very limited football. It's, it's a shame. I really want him to change his methods. I really want us to bring in someone to oversee the young players and their development from under 18s to first team. I think it's a really really important role I also want us to have a director of football perhaps those two things could be the same role I don't know um but structurally there is a problem uh, I'll get off my hobby horse now because it's I, I could I could talk about this a lot um question from Simon Hemsworth who says is this an ideal season to go all in for the FA Cup buddy what do you think I, I kind of like that when I read that every season in my opinion has been a good 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 idea to go all in for the FA Cup um I think half of Pochettino's problems that he's facing now in a kind of down, downturn of form is the fact that he has kind of pied off a lot of cup games over his years. Um, with now top four becoming not important, I think our only way of success is either winning the Champions League, which is a big ask, or winning an FA Cup. So 100%, yeah. Rest players for the league. Rest players for the league. What do, you, do you mean rest players in the league and play the strongest in the FA Cup? Yeah, play the kids in the league and, and go all out for the <laughs> FA Cup. To a Wigan. Nathan. I mean, it it would be great for Amazon, you know, <laughs> they would love it. <laughs> Nathan, how about you? Is it worth prioritising the FA Cup this year? Uh, possibly. I would also just say, like, um, I wouldn't be shocked if we, despite the chaos that's happening in the league, had another decent run in the Champions League. Um, because um, the way that we're having to play sort of lends itself to those, that that game style, uh, uh, to, to the context of the Champions League. And we again, it looks like we're going to do enough to squeeze out the group, and then we may be in a better shape at the end of the season. So don't don't write off the Champions League just yet. Is what I'm saying. I, do you not think though that um, a lot of our success in the Champions League last year, I can't believe I'm about to say this, came down to Fernando Llorente. <laughs> Fucking hell! Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like the ability for us to go direct. Yeah. Genuinely won us a lot of games. I thought, like, I can't believe I'm saying it. Um, um, I think, but it kind of like this traditional old school English style kind of got us through. It meant we didn't have to play through midfield, which is our problem. Yeah, well, yes, yeah, so that's essentially what I'm saying is that playing more direct, which we did last year and a bit this year out of necessity as well, lends itself to the Champions League. I don't think we have to have Lorente in order to make playing direct work for us. Yeah, but I, I I think we do need a Lorente player because I don't think I don't think Kane's willing just to stand on the edge of the box and have the ball pinged. Can't his jump head. anymore. But I think yeah, he can't jump. He can't get to the edge of the box. And <laughs> it's uh, a long way. I think I think I think Wendy's right that um, it was it was Lorente, but it wasn't Lorente the man. It was just the ability to cause chaos. Delict has never seen he's never seen a man like <laughs> Lorente before, and and that's what helped helped. And then. Manchester City, as we as we saw the weekend, that you know defensively has never been there. It's never been their strong point. But uh, yeah, I think we are probably better set up now for for a kind of um, chaos Champions League than we are thirty eight game season. 
We had a really uh, fun question from Daniel Platt, uh, who said, if you could clone five body parts from any member of the squad in order to Frankenstein together a new player for our squad to solve our issues, whose parts would you pick? You may only take one body part from one player, left leg, right leg, forehead for headers, brain and lungs. Should we, should we take a body part each? Yeah, why not? So uh, do you want the left leg, Buddy? In fact, which which uh, which position are we going to build here? Um, I, I think you'll probably agree with me, but I think probably a defensive midfielder. Okay. okay. Ideal. For our defensive midfielder, uh, whose left leg are you having, Buddy? Um, oh, oh, I don't know now. <laughs> probably probably um, Lo Celso's. Give me Lo Celso's. Good shout. Nathan, who's right leg? Uh... <laughs> God, this is such a ridiculous question. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Indombolo's right leg. Okay, nice, nice. Uh, Controversial. Uh, forehead, God. When you almost 50p for it. Eric Dyer's <laughs> massive, massive bonce. He's good, He's ca- he can head the ball, he's alright, yeah. I agree uh, with that. So, Bardi, who's defensive midfield brain this is the tricky one isn't it no i think that's that's simple i think it's i think it's wanyama's brain because he he is a yeah. great midfielder who just doesn't have the body anymore okay good shout and uh lungs i mean the obvious one is christian erickson sissoko or musa yeah. oh sissoko yeah yeah good shout good shout so we basically just built um ndidi oh i mean he's basically my dream signing at the moment i absolutely love watching ndidi play at the moment um i love watching leicester in general but ndidi is a sexy sexy footballer he's got mm. a bit of everything to his game he's so good ridiculously good uh mark lynch says actually shout out to mark lynch who is like one of our biggest supporters is always there with the questions he says uh, not sure when the next pod is but to give you some thinking time hypothetically you have control over who goes from the squad and there's no difference in contract expiring which five or so are going based on performance and their fit um so buddy which five players would you like to cull from our squad right now um Aurier, davies um, Vertonghen uh, Ericsson how many, how many more have I got left that's four four and um, um, oh my gosh I don't know I'm, I'm going to get rid of Alderweireld as well get rid of them all yeah how about can you, I just say Sergio five times <laughs> peace at a time you can yeah um, so yeah Aurier is, is high on my list Danny Rose is also high on my list uh, Kyle Walker-Peters because he's not going to play anyway there's no point a in mercy killing <laughs> a mercy killing for Kyle free Kyle Walker-Peters um the other two are tricky. I I don't want like I feel I still feel sad about Vertonghen and Alderweireld leaving, even though it's inevitable. I mean, it has to be. So, so he says it's not about uh, contract expiry. That's it's sort of well, that changes the entire situation. Like if Tommy could sign a new contract tomorrow, no one's getting rid of him, are they? No, exactly. So you'd probably look at Jesus Sissoko, maybe, and probably Lucas. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Is that harsh? A little bit. It feels harsh. Uh, and we'll end with this one. Uh, Brian Mulholland says, Please advise which Spurs-related book I should ask Santa for. Clive Allen or the Grease one looks decent. Any football tactical books Nathan would recommend? Bardi, you, you're a big reader. Any, um, any books you'd recommend? Yeah, I really like the book In Search of Alan Gilzean. This is like one of our legendary footballers who kind of fell off the map from the moment he retired. And this was back in a day when, you know, players didn't make a lot of money and clubs basically when the player's contract was up kind of like he's here see you later here's a little bit of a severance package they weren't kind of financially reimbursed like they are now and this author he just goes out to try and find Alan Gilzean and eventually it ends up with um, Gilzean being kind of put back into the fold at Tottenham and until up until his death he was actually doing things around the club you know like legends evenings and legends tours and that kind of stuff and it's really well written and it's about a player who kind of gets overlooked Nice. I, I'm. I'm like. I, I. I'm feeling a Bardi's book club here. 
you, you do you do read an insane amount. Uh, Nathan, how about you? Have you read any good football books this year? Uh, so the question's asking about tactics books, and obviously sort of um, the granddaddy of football tactics books is Jonathan Wilson's Inverting the Pyramids. Um, there are a couple of Michael Cox books out, obviously. Um, there's In the Shadows of Marcelo Bielsa, which I've been meaning to read for a long time. And my friend Lee has a... Um, Man City last season, Man City book out as well. Um, but I mean, generally, um, generally books aren't all that great for tactic stuff. The the best stuff is found in in articles and blogs in you know five hundred and one thousand word bursts. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I don't really read many football books to be honest. I tell you what, I did read uh, while I was on the holiday. I read uh, James O'Brien's book. Have either of you read that? No. Nope. Oh, it's it's very good. It's very good. It's um. It's very left wing and it's ever so slightly sneering, but it's sneering at the right people. Like it's it's essentially talking about how the media have why the media are so awful and why we shouldn't blame people who fall for their lies. Uh, it's very well written, very funny. Um, yeah, so I'd recommend that, even though it's non football. Well, if you want to read a left wing media criticism book, then check out Noam Chomsky's Manufacturing Consent. You've been listening to the Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Barley for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindner for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, D. Lindner. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. <laughs> <laughs> you will be right Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like... You know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.